T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You know, I, I went out there. I He says accidental, and that's how he ruled it, his judgment call. But I, you know, his... I just told him, that, you know, the man's stride is not to drag his foot just above the ground. You know, when you run, you, you pick up, put it down, and that, and he dragged it. So, I mean, I don't, maybe he was just slowing his, you know, I'm not accusing him of, it, of kicking on purpose, but, you know, they said it was accidental judgment call, but, you know, the, his foot was low to the ground, or else he couldn't have kicked it that far. So, I think probably the answer, he was just slowing his stride down, and and made the contact and the umpire ruled accidental. And uh, if I had to bet knowing the uh, integrity of, the, of, of Salvatore Perez, I would, I would say the umpire called it correctly. Hit. Tony Russa. Well, you know what? Everything sucked in Kansas City. That was it. They just sucked. Get them out of there. Football score. Go. Leave. Don't come back. Thank God Salvador Perez won't be a playoff opponent. That's the way it goes. Welcome in. Welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody with you. Saturday suckage on Monday. The WB Club right here. A little after 8 on Labor Day. Hope you're enjoying the vacation by listening to us. Hope we're your, this, the start of your pa- <coughs> palliative day mm. off. We're broadcasting from the Scores Hyundai Studios, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. Talking some White Sox now with a member of the Locked On Sox podcast. Joining us on the Scores Hotline, which is presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, is the best sound man in the business, and he's going to sound off on why the Sox suck. He's Chris Tannehill of the Score. Chris, how you doing? The WB Club on a Monday, on a Labor Day at that? You guys have really gone corporate. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, well, we, we, we sold out, Chris. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just, we just thought, yeah, right, right. We just thought we'd screw with all the WB Club members and they wonder what day it is. Oh, hey, I got two more days off now. So <laughs> your White Sox, now Chris does it, for those of you who know him as the best sound man in the business on the Parkinson Spiegel show. He also is co-host with Herb Lawrence, a recent guest on Saturday Suckage, uh, with the Locked on Socks podcast. They break it down. They're, so break down, build up. They're, the White Sox sucked in Kansas City. They pitched to Salvador Perez. They, they made a lot of mistakes, and they're, they got a big lead that allows them to do this is this a healthy thing, trying to get healthy and not having a lot of emphasis on the game, a lot of focus? How do you feel about this entering September? 
Well, let's get back to the Salvi Perez thing. Uh, Tony said after the game that uh, that was not part of the plan, giving up three <laughs> home runs uh, over the course of the weekend. I should hope not. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is just a natural thing that teams go to. Sometimes another team just has your number. And, you know, they, they win the season series. The Royals do 10 games to nine. And they knew that this, the series victory was on the line and it didn't seem to care all that much. Um, you know, some, sometimes you're just going to get beat. And, you know, one guy beat you this weekend, and that was Salvi Perez. He goes 5 for 10 with, with the three homers and eight RBIs. But, you know, I, I think you're just looking at a team right now who knows they're going to clinch. And, and, I, and believe me, I'm baseball you know, superstitious, and, I, and I'm not counting the, you know, the, the chickens there, but I think they just, they know, they see the finish line in sight, and it's a team that they don't match up particularly well against, I, I think it was most likely like the, the World Series for the Royals this past weekend, and it's not a fun place to play baseball in late August, early September there, so I, I, I just think, you know, the, but the problem is here, if you're a White Sox fan, you know, What's the one place the, the Sox typically play worse than in Kansas City? In Oakland. Oak, it's, it's Oakland, yay. So you're, <laughs> you're, you've got that coming up this week here, too. Uh-huh. So, you know, just, uh, just you know, I want, I want to press skip here on, on the rest of this week. So yeah, they'll, they'll be it, okay, it, though. And, Tanny, I was going to say, it's 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 not even clear who's pitching in the, in the Oakland series at this point because it looks like they're going to skip Rodon again. Should we be legit worried about Carlos Rodon? No, I think what you're seeing here with Rodon is they, they wanted to see him enough to know, okay, he looks like he's okay, and you know he didn't go too long in his last outing. I think they're just they know that he is more effective. If you look at his numbers when he's on you know six days of rest and and longer, he's much more effective. I think they just wanted to make sure that he was okay and and why why risk it? You know why even. Uh, get you know I don't even know if he's going to be on the plane to uh, to Oakland, but I think they're going to have Jimmy Lambert start tomorrow, and we'll, we'll see. And then you've got Dallas Keuchel I think slated to go again in this series, and you know it, it could be a real disaster. But you know at the worst case you're still going to have like a you know a six and a half game lead when you get back. You know at worst case scenario. So you know I think I, with Rodon I think what I saw enough from him in the last start I, that that is I'm confident enough that that he's going to be okay. Chris Tannehill is our guest. He's He and Herb Lawrence co-host the Locked on Sox podcast. Tanny also does spectacular sound work on the Parkinson Spiegel show. We have a little gift for him at the end of this. But bringing up <gasps> Dallas Keuchel, and then I thought I saw where he was scheduled to be followed by Ronaldo Lopez, which against the A's, a playoff contender, a team you should worry about, a lineup that's tough, could tell us something. It could finally be... We're, we're tired of Dallas Keuchel. There's not even a threat. Or may, and maybe tell us something about the worthiness of Ronaldo Lopez. I know he's been in, it, it, he hasn't given you that kind of consistency every time out. But for a stretch there, by the way, he was under the radar good. I don't know what you're expecting, but do you think, are you, are you willing to read a lot into his start on, in, in Oakland? You know, I don't know. I think the the reality is they just need guys to take the ball every five days, and whether or not they go deep in the game, that's a, an issue they'll they'll resolve later. But I, I think he's been really good. And if you're looking at a, a possible postseason roster, I don't see any circumstance in which Ronaldo Lopez is not on it, um, especially the first round. I don't see any real benefit to having Dallas Keuchel on the roster with only being a five-game series in round one. But Ronaldo Lopez has, has earned his way onto that spot. Now, you can use him in a lot of different ways, which which I like. You know, if you want to bullpen a game, let's say, you know, Lynn and Giolito are not 
particularly healthy going into that round one, which I, I think they will be, but you can use them in a lot of different ways. You can bullpen it. You can uh, get yourself out of some trouble with a guy like that who pitches with velocity, and he's pitching with a lot of confidence right now. And, and it's funny. It seems so anecdotal at the time when you watch him pitch. Everyone, We've seen him pitch here since, you know, during the rebuild years, during the lean years, and, you know, he showed promise early. And, you know, he's just a guy who, you know, you heard a lot about the eye surgery he had to, to correct the vision, but it's a guy who just can pitching with conviction and pitching with confidence. And it, and it goes to show you how much of a difference that can make when you have this stuff and you, and you know, you have this stuff and you can go out there and, and battle. And he's, he's been doing a great job of late, but he's, he's a guy that you, you can use a lot of different ways in the, in the postseason, especially a right-handed pitcher against some of those right-handed dominant bats of Houston and, and, and Tampa like that. This is a guy that, that can be very valuable here for you. And I, don't, I wouldn't read too much into, into this start per se, but they just need a guy to go out there and take the ball and, and hope he gets deeper in the game than he did over the weekend. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ronaldo Lopez lately. You ride the hot hand when you're going into the postseason. So uh, that's certainly what he has right now. It's, it's amazing that everything the White Sox have put out there this year has to some degree worked. And there there is a, an end game to it working, like in the case of Yasmani Grandal. Jake Berger came up for a while. He was good. Went back down. We've seen what Gavin Sheets has done. On and on. Billy Hamilton. Even Andrew Vaughn. Are you surprised, Tanny, that it seems like everything, at least for a while, has worked for the White Sox? And that's why, essentially, they are where they are, because they've overcome injuries because of it. Yeah, I, I think when, when your roster has as much talent as, as the White Sox do, it, you know, it it, it, it kind of, uh, it, it foolproofs the roster in a lot of ways. And I don't think any of us saw this coming with all the injuries. But I, I think there is some sort of baseball nonsense going on here where you have some of the worst luck imaginable with the Eloy injury and then the Robert injury. Uh-huh. And, and so I think it's one of those things where, you know, the old saying, the, the rising tide raises all boats. I think that's the situation you have here where guys, if you look at Brian Goodwin for for example, hits the the home run in, in his first at bat coming here yeah. in that Detroit series. Like you know, it's stuff you can't you can't quantify. You you know you you you, you couldn't make it up. But it just it just happens when you're part of a winning team and winning culture. So I am surprised. You know, we're we're starting to see a little bit of that fizzle away, and this team is still trying to find themselves in a, in a lot of ways, playing with their actual lineup, which is such a weird thing to say. Like you get to September first, and you 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 still haven't seen this team in full realization of Rickon's vision because Adam Engel's not out there. So I think that, that's one thing I do worry about is, is them working together as a cohesive unit here once you, you don't rely on these bench guys who've been playing every day. But, yeah, I think it's a credit to Rickon, credit to the scouting staff, credit to Tony LaRussa, who's found you know ways to use these guys. And it's a credit to the culture. These guys just jump on board and they don't think twice and they, and they just perform here. So, you know, I did not think it was going to be sustainable over the course of the season. But then you get a little bit of luck with, with Robert's injury. He was back sooner than anyone thought he would be. So was Eloy. So you get some help there. But I just think in, in, in baseball stupidity, you're so unlucky with, with, with certain things. And, you know, you're due for a little bit of luck on the other end. We're talking with Chris Tannehill, Locked on Socks podcast, also a, uh, a, the magical sound man of the Parkins and Spiegel show right here on The Score. So you mentioned Tony La Russa, credit to him. What has been your arc or what are your thoughts on La Russa now as we get to September? The job he's done managing, has there been an arc? Have, there, have you changed your thoughts it, on the way he's handled the team? Or does he make pitching decisions? You say a guy like that shouldn't make those decisions those kind of decisions 
Well, I think the biggest thing you look at, well, let, let's go back to Saturday's game. I think that was one of his best managerial performances of the season. If, if you can, you know, rate and grade managerial performances and, and over the course of 162 <laughs> games, you, you don't have the opportunity to do we that We have to. We're to sports talk radio, well, Chris. A- absolutely. Um, but I will say Saturday's game, it, that was one of his best managerial jobs of the year, what he does there. I think it, we're all scratching our heads there when he brings in Kimbrell in the seventh, but he was really left no choice because of, uh, what um, Michael Kopech did out there, but he brings in Kim- Kimbrell in the seventh to face the the right-handed dominant hitters, and and he does uh, dirty things to Salvi Perez there, and then he brings in Bummer for the eighth, and then Hendricks for the ninth. That was a clear indication that he was looking at the matchups and looking at the guys in the lineup who could beat you. I wish they would have um, implored that uh, philosophy the other two games of the season of the series, but you know I think he's he's done a really good job over the season, and he's evolved, and we saw him. You know, pitch Liam Hendricks in some, you know, unconventional spots early on, you know, non-save situations. And there were spots where we could have seen him, you know, maybe in the, the late seventh or early eighth inning. And, and you know, Rick Hahn called Liam Hendricks an out-getter uh, during the first homestand of the series. So not labeling him as a closer per se early on. And we were kind of wondering what's going on there. Uh, but I think he's done a really nice job. Uh, navigating this thing and managing the bullpen and getting guys their rest. And, and it's amazing. You're starting to see Michael Kopech flame out a little bit here. So I think he, he's due for a little breather. But everyone was, was you know, up in arms all season about, oh, how, how are they going to get Michael Kopech ramped up for the postseason? Well, they haven't started that process, and he's only pitched like 50-something innings, and now look at him. You know, he looks like he's about gassed. So I'm glad they didn't go for the whole <laughs> ramp-up Michael Kopech thing, you know. But he's done a really nice job. I think the big question remains is who is going to come out of that door in the eighth and ninth inning mm. in, in, in game one to close out a, a postseason game. So I, I think that's the big question, and, and I still think he doesn't want to tip his hand in that regard because I think he knows the answer is right there in front of him because Craig Kimbrell uh, finally looked really good um, in, a, in, in, the low, in a relatively low-leverage spot for him in the seventh inning the other day. Let's do a uh, checkup on Aloy Jimenez's defense. He, he made a sliding catch yesterday recently made what i thought was maybe his best play of the year i can't even remember who it was against maybe the pirates where he it he was just, yes yes the, you know the play i'm talking about in the gap where he just like he timed it perfectly had the good first step and made a nice lunging catch so like that was good i i gotta tell you though tanny what when i see him every time i see Aloy go down like yesterday when he makes the sliding catch i'm waiting for that Aloy smile which he gave us <laughs> yesterday. So I don't know how if you have gotten into a comfort zone of him being in the outfield, or if you are like me, that you're like, okay, like the play against the Pirate. Nice play. I like that. Yesterday, sliding catches. You have to go down. Was that necessary what you did right there? So I still feel funny with him being out left field. How do you feel watching him play defense? Well, you know, you, you always have to remember when you see him out there sliding around, <laughs> looking ridiculous on defense yeah. at times, you know, that yeah. he d- says he feels more comfortable hitting when he's out there in, in the field every day. So that's you uh-huh. know, it's one of those things you kind of just have to c- uh, come to terms with. But the reality is that the best White Sox lineup is, is not him in left field. It's Andrew Vaughn in left field and Eloy DHing. So, you know, I think maybe you can have a conversation about that once the playoffs begin. But, yeah, it, it still makes me very uncomfortable seeing him sliding around out there. And there was that one play a couple of weeks back where uh, he, he, he dove for a ball and, and he almost collided with Luis Robert. And that's the one thing mm-hmm. you absolutely can't have happen is have both those guys go down on one play. So I think he has gotten better. He looks, he looks a, a lot slimmer. He looks a lot more fluid in his motions. He's still not great 
great by by any stretch of the imagination and he's still real clunky out there but you know it's, yeah. it, it makes me really uncomfortable but if if, if he says he feels better um, you know, in the, in the in the box when he's out there in left field, and so be it. But I just during the postseason, I'm just not ready for that conversation. I just think he's not part of the best defensive lineup, and in the postseason, it's all about run prevention as well as as run scored. So I would not have him out there in the postseason, no matter what he says. He's you know he's been a good teammate, and he's going to have to continue to do that and uh, just grab a bat and have a seat. <laughs> Yeah, grab a bat, have a seat, grab some bench in between. Yeah, you you can hold your you can hold your mitt in the dugout and pre- you can pretend. Yeah, yeah, like, like maybe, the kids yeah. in the stand hoping to catch a yeah. foul ball. Yeah. yeah, bounce the ball off the wall in the dugout or in the clubhouse. You know, whatever makes you feel like you're involved, yeah. so like, go for it, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, our guest has been Chris Tannehill. Normally, we let people choose their walk-up music, but we have exit music for Chris Tannehill, who is also the producer of the uh, and famously the producer the sound man for the Parkinson Spiegel show so we have some exit music and a song to discuss Chris oh I have to... <laughs> we, we, did we just kill Chris Tannehill oh no, no this is how I find did... out <laughs> among the radio Didn't... guys it was real radio guy stuff <laughs> yeah so the the that song the coda the piano portion of Layla, that could be an entire behind the music episode or beyond the music. The story of that. You know who wrote that, Chris? Uh, go ahead and tell me. Well, Eric Clapton and Jim Gordon are credited with it. Rita Coolidge wrote the piano portion of it. Her boyfriend was Jim Gordon at the time, a drummer who played for Derek in the Dominoes, and that was led by Eric Clapton. And Derek and the Dominoes made it a hit, and she heard it come on the radio while she's taking glam shots for her self-titled album on A&M Records. He goes, that's my song. We called it Time. So Jim, they had played it for Clapton. They left the tape, and he put it on the end of Layla. And that's, that's they appropriated amazing. it and gave Jim Gordon the, the writing credit. And so she went, Rita Coolidge said, went to the producer and manager, Clapton, Derek and Domino's, there's Robert Stigwood, who would make... Uh, now they, I'm confused. Now I'm confused. Well, anyway, she she went to the manager and he goes, you don't want to go up against Stiggy. So she <laughs> remained... <laughs> who would? I mean. Yeah, right. <laughs> so she never got credit for it, but she wrote it. It was backed up by the piano player for, uh, for uh, Derek and the Domino's, Bobby uh, Whitfield and... Stiggy. And you're right. And Jim Gordon, the former boyfriend of Rita Coolidge, who wrote Bad this man. and stole the song, was <clears throat> convicted of killing his mother with a hammer and a butcher knife. Oh, that's oh a wow. <laughs> was put in a sanitarium in California at last look. That is the story of the song you're playing that is made famous by Chris Tannehill and some guy named Scorsese at, in, in one of the most famous movie scenes ever in Goodfellas. That is an appropriate story behind that song. Um, I thought you were going to say that, you know, the guy's mother wound up uh, in the back of a... <laughs> of yeah, a, in the back of a truck. <laughs> well, look, on, you get, know... Get, 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 the, get the coffee to go. Get it to go. Yeah, yeah right. But that's close. Joe Pesci did need a knife from Mama Scorsese in that scene. So, anyways, that's, yeah, the, that's the story. The whole song could be a... And, I mean, it started with... The, the song involves a, a, a beetle 
a Beatles wife, a stolen song, a woman done wrong, and a mother murdered. That's really it's, beyond behind the music. That's a great song story. It's it's appropriate, and it does seem like you know the the song has you know two different uh, lives and people who, who hear it like you know you say Layla, and some people will recognize the you know the iconic guitar riff in the first part of the song, and then some you know, you say Layla to someone else, and they think Goodfellas. So that that's that's really appropriate uh, for usage for that. I just picture I, I see a garbage truck and a guy flipping around a bunch of lettuce and milk cartons yes. and Frenchie. Yeah, he's the Frenchie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Frenchie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So before um, we let you go, Chris, one last question. Will the most enjoyable version of Layla you will have prepared for Parkinson's Spiegel belong to the the transaction involving Dallas Keuchel? Ooh, I don't know about that. You know, I'm not I'm not quite gonna write him off just yet. I think in a, in a seven game postseason series, a guy with experience like that, as the weather gets a little colder, if you're fortunate enough to advance here into October, I'm not writing him off just yet because there's not a whole lot of guys here who who I would easily say. Yes, over Dallas Keigel. Now he's got to figure it out between now and then, but I'm, I'm not writing them off just yet. And uh, while we're on the topic of the show and music, thank you for the content the other day with the Yaz Man parody song. Uh, it did go over like a lead balloon with those guys because they, like all, any great musician, they are true narcissists. So unless they had the idea, unless they write it, um, they, they were very lukewarm to that idea, but I appreciated it. Then I know how good it is. I'm proud to say I know how good it is if their egos were damaged. Thanks, Tanny. Thanks, Thanks guys. Chris Tannehill, Chris. Locked on Sox podcast, Parkinson Spiegel producer, and and there we go. Saturday suckage on Monday. Steve Rosen with Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. This really sucks. Indeed it does. Saturday suckage on Monday. Your Labor Day suckage. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody with you together again for the first time. And this is the first NFL regular season week of the rest of Justin Fields' life. His coach, his interim coach, or I guess he's Andy Dalton's coach, really. Matt Nagy was on our brother station, WBBM, 780 AM, 105.9 FM. He was on this morning. We will bring you the full interview next hour, but Part of the interview was he was asked the question he's going to be asked as Mark Rohde heads up to Hallis Hall later this morning. So, like, let's talk quarterbacks. Who's your quarterback? Who's your starter? Who's the guy? And here's Matt Nagers. Is Andy Dalton your starting quarterback until Andy Dalton loses the job, if he does? Or is Andy Dalton your starting quarterback until Justin Fields takes it away, if he does? Andy Dalton's our starting quarterback, and he's he's excited, and our players are excited to get out here and play well. And again, that that's the uh, the, the thing that we've talked about all year long, and, and really up until this point right now, and we're going to stick to is worrying about today, you know. And I think that's going to be very important for every player on this team to do that and go out there and let's uh, let's produce, let's have fun, let's win games, and just worry about today, and then we'll worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. Matt Nagy, coach of the Bears, interviewed by Rick Gregg on WBBM. We'll have a full interview next hour, like I said. Mark Rohde, the idea, Andy Dalton's your starter, as we talked about earlier. But the question then is, how much patience will Matt Nagy have with Andy Dalton? First of all, I like that answer, believe it or not, that he he didn't. He wasn't angry about the question. He he didn't do the whole Andy Dalton is our quarterback and that's that. He's our star. It's hey, Andy Dalton like that that's the right answer. That that should be the answer, believe it or not. That should be the answer Bears fans want to hear. Andy Dalton's our quarterback today. 
I don't know about tomorrow, but today he's our quarterback. And I know those weren't his exact words, but that's what he's saying, that Andy Dalton is on a week-to-week basis as the quarterback of the Bears. You asked the question, how long do I think it'll take before Andy Dalton is taken out of the game and Justin Fields comes in? It it is totally and completely based on how Andy Dalton plays. We saw this last year when Mitch Trubisky was the starting quarterback and the Bears were winning games, but he was still playing poorly. And even though the Bears were 2-0, heading for 3-0 in Atlanta, he pulled Trubisky out of the game because he couldn't wait to pull Trubisky out of the game. Not Not just for the sake of pulling Trubisky out, but to get his guy, Nick Foles, into the game now you could make the argument that Andy Dalton is a a Matt Nagy guy but the the future or of the organization the assurance for everybody depends heavily on Justin Fields being good so I, I think it's possible that Justin Fields is quarterbacking on September 19th when the Bears host Cincinnati not Andy Dalton against his own team. You just think it's nope. <clears throat> it's going to be. Is it merit or Look, injury? If, well, I no. I, if Andy Dalton goes out there against the Rams and he's nine for nineteen for one hundred and seventy-two yards, a couple of touchdowns, and a pick, is that enough for the Bears to say going into Week Two? Yeah, Andy Dalton is still our guy when we have a playmaking quarterback sitting on the bench. And I I, ha- I believe these guys, at this because the gap closed, I saw it with my own eyes, that since the gap closed and they saw the same thing, I do think, and they haven't said this, but I think they have to look at things differently because I think that they, I think Justin Fields did go above and beyond what they thought he would do in training camp and in the preseason. So I do think that when Matt Nagy says we're just worried about today, I think he means that. And I think that Andy Dalton has to be really good for him to to keep his job throughout the season. And I think Bears fans should hope for I think that if, you know, he goes out there and, you know, he throws for 350 yards, Bears fans should be happy that they can preserve Justin Fields maybe for another week or two, and they should be happy. But I, I think that this thing happens sooner than a lot of people thought it might. So your scenario in which Andy Dalton – Nine for 19, two TDs, maybe a pick, and 172 yards. Right, right. Did the Bears win or lose that game? Right? Isn't that that where we are in that? It doesn't matter because of what I said about Trubisky. Trubisky was winning. The Bears were winning with Mitch Trubisky. This is the template. We always talk about the Kansas City template, but how about about the Matt Nagy template, the actual head coaching template, which he set forth right there in front of us for all of us last year. He kind of begrudgingly named Mitch Trubisky the starter. It was filled with... It was filled with Mitch knows what he's got to do now. Mitch knows that he's got to go out there and he's got to perform. And guess what? Nagy essentially said the same thing about Andy Dalton. He kept saying, Andy knows. Andy knows he's got to, he's got to play well. Andy knows he's got to get the ball into the end zone. Andy knows. And, and the interpretation of that for me was Andy knows that if he doesn't play well, that there's a guy who wears jersey number one who's going to get into the game. When asked this question uh, before, Negi's answer said, we're looking at is, you know, are we producing our goal as an offense to get first downs, touchdowns, and then win ultimately. You want to win and then make good decisions. 
we have to we'll have to see as we go out there so the key part of that quote for me the scary part was there are going to be in-game adjustments because you always get into week one and you see unscouted looks or you see something that's a surprise so as a staff we're going to have to make sure that we're all over that and the players have got to adjust and play Negi in my world has never shown the ability to coach the game in front of him he coaches the game that has been doped out do you see that? Is there any sign that he might be more flexible? Are we just taking it on faith that he's going to be able to coach the game that's there and put the right quarterback in for the game that is going on right in front of him? I think he, man, I'm hesitating right now because there hasn't been a lot of examples of it. Yeah. But I think after watching, I actually think that usurping the play calling did him some good last year. That I, I think he hated doing it uh, because we know how much he loves to call plays, but he did it. He did it, and he did see when Bill Lazor was calling plays, it, there was a successful running game. Matt Nagy saw that if you stick with it, it can exist. So I think that I'm hoping that maybe he did learn from that, and he has said he did. And so I, I do think that he, he, his evolution of a coach should come in play this year, that he, will, he did see that, and he now knows that, yeah, it's, I know it feels better to make the, the screen pass for a four-yard gain as opposed to barreling it up the middle and maybe losing a yard, then on the next play get the yard back and add another one. I get, like, I understood what Matt Nagy wanted to do when he came in here in 2018, and I think everybody was on board with it. Unfortunately, he just has not consistently had the personnel to do it, and I guess this is my really long-winded way, Steve, of saying I'd like to think that he has figured it out this year, especially, man, especially with what's going on with the offensive line, that you simply cannot, and you're going you're gonna to be in a rowdy atmosphere where they're going to be really loud on defense and they're going to be in your face, the, the Rams fans will be. So it, it's really going to be important now more than ever that the Bears have the ability to get productive yards out of number 32, David Montgomery. We will discuss that and more with Chris Emma of The Score at the top of the hour at 9 o'clock. Uh, we'll discuss more Bears and more Matt Nagy and, and what's on the line for him. But before we take a break, we will come back with, um, in case you missed it, Notre Dame coach had something awful to say. He just spit up all over himself. And a baseball player, and then it morphed into the typical meme, and a baseball player's wife has something to say about that, too. So here we are at the nexus of just of social media all over the place. So we'll discuss that after this. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, Saturday Suckage on Monday, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Saturday Suckage on Monday, Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody. Together again for the first time. Has been a while, Mark. Has been a while. Yeah, I've kind of been on assignment, as have you, and somehow the power of, oh, Holiday has brought us back together today. <laughs> Not Matt Holiday, just the Labor Day holiday. Yeah, various holidays. So yesterday, last night on Sunday, the Catholic University won a game in overtime. The 
best-known Catholic football team. They uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish uh, blew an 18-point fourth-quarter lead, coached by <clears throat> Brian Kelly, and they needed a missed kick in overtime by a Notre Dame-ly named Ryan Fitzgerald. They got their own kicker to make a field goal, and they won, 41-38. So after the game, Brian Kelly, Notre Dame coach, was asked how he thought, what he thought of the comeback in the game and the whole situation in Tallahassee. I'm, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe, maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. Okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, even right. if that's de- even if that's delivered in a comic way, it's still not funny. Right, because he doesn't understand straight man punchline, straight man punchline. He tried to do everybody's job there and wanted to channel his inner John McKay. So there's your Notre Dame coach the coach of the sanctimonious frauds from South Bend, Notre Dame coach trying to channel a USC coach, former USC coach, John McKay, who made it famous, and he was asked when, when he was coaching the woeful, un, winless Tampa Bay Buccaneers after another loss, what did you think of your team's execution? And he said, I'm in favor of it, or I'm for it, one of those answers. So Brian Kelly tried to do that. So you heard Brian Kelly try to do both jokes and the whole execution. And it quickly drew Twitter's attention. And this showed up, something like this, in, it showed up in many forms of I, because then he was in the post game and he had to apologize and trying to straighten things out. And I, and so on Twitter, it showed up as a version of what you remember is a famous tape, this tape, this Tom Brenneman. Castellanos to lead things off. Jim Day's going to be taking us the rest of the way through this game. As Holland takes over on the mound. Um, I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the year that I am deeply ashamed of. Um, If I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. So, that was Tom Brenneman after using a homophobic slur. And he indeed did not put the headphone on. And that became a regular meme. Of course, it showed up yesterday on Twitter. Brian Kelly's apology was, I'm sorry I used the term execution. As there's a deep drive to left field by Castellanos, and that'll be a home run. So that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. So that, show, that showed up. Which we you all kind remember. Of yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, in, case, yes. in case you missed this, the same weekend, <clears throat> Jess... Castellanos, Nick's wife, okay. sent out this tweet. PSA to all Nick Castellanos joke tweets. Something bleep happens every day in the world. Find a new joke. <laughs> and then it happens with Brian Kelly. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> She's tired of the jokes about her husband. Find a new joke. Can you know what? You know what? You know what would them? help? I could help what? Jess. Here, here's what okay. would help. 
Come back to your safe landing spot at Wrigley Field in Chicago. Have your husband opting out. Get get him back to Wrigley Field. And sign this man that you should have signed and never have let get away in the first place, Nick Castellanos. That, that's, just, that, that's all I think every time I hear. I know Nick, Nick Castellanos certainly should trigger Thrum, Bredeman, but it triggers the fact that the Cubs just kind of let him go even though he, he was – the type of player that the Cubs have needed on their roster for the last three years. So I would like the Cubs to sign Nick Castellanos. That's all this is doing to me. Do you see the the um, the dots have been connected to my brain now, Steve? A joke, <laughs> yes. A joke has yes. gone serious for me. Yes. Uh, do you really think that tamps down the jokes? I just think that no. that heightens them. <laughs> I, I think it's I think crazy. the whole thing explodes. That that dot uh, becomes like the the Big Bang theory for it's all over the place. That it's so crazy. upsetting because I don't know if you know this, but when I was doing pre and post, one of my favorite stops was Cincinnati because I love the Renamans. And I know that they have said disparaging things about Cubs, the Wrigley Field, and oh, Cubs yes. fan. You know what I mean? Like both Marty Brenneman and Tom Brenneman. And I, I totally get it. But they're hilarious, and they're foul-mouthed. And, they, and I always had this dream, and Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer could back this up. I always had a dream of being invited over to the Brenneman's house for Thanksgiving just to hear how that would go down. Because, like I said, neither guy holds back, and they were hilarious. But what Tom Brenneman did that day was not hilarious, and now I don't feel – I feel like I'm going to have to – you know, I I need some time before I can accept the invitation to Thanksgiving at the Brenneman's house. Uh, Okay. I did not know that that was waiting for you. Uh, Yeah. Gene and Gary might – how would Gene and Gary be fixed for that if – I'd take them with. Because Marty would be like, oh, yeah, bring them. Marty would be like, he'd be like, oh, yeah, Mark, go ahead and take – I love Gene and Gary. You bring them on. I'll tell you that right now. Um, yeah, I, I remember, here's why I like Marty. And, uh, because there was a day when I was working at a Reds game and what I liked to do was I would work both clubhouses. I got all the stuff done that I needed to do with the Cubs getting my interview ready. Then I'd like to go over to the opposite side just to see what was going on. And I would try to get involved in the, their, their manager, you know, Q and a, I went over there one day, I had my, you know, my radio equipment, the big microphone and all the writers are talking to the manager of the Reds and the PR guy kicked me out of there because he was like, Oh, this is just for the beat writers. And I'm just like, I'm kind of shaking my head. I'm like, what is this guy talking about? You know, you know, well, you, you can't re- And I, I wasn't going to fight the fight, but I told Marty about it. And Marty just went off. He's like, Oh, that guy's just a, let me tell you about him. That guy is just <laughs> crazy. I, Mark, I'm glad you told me about this. Cause I'm going to bring this up. I, I'll tell you what, that I'm going to take care of this for you. So I was like, all right, you get, you had, you had me Marty at that guy is bleep. <laughs> you so, had me at, let me tell you about that guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he, he right. totally had my back. And then Tom was always just, how you doing, Mark? Good to see you. Maybe we, maybe we catch a meal. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Thanksgiving uh, 2021, maybe? How about that? Yeah. Yeah, right. So you talked about bringing back that guy, Jess, Jess's husband. <laughs> PSA. Something bleep happens in the world every day. Find a new joke. <laughs> you know, and there's a deep drive by Castellanos. <laughs> That'll be a home run. And it's a four nothing ball game. So say he comes back. The talk of when the trades are made, Baez had a good weekend. Rizzo, Bryant. And so any or all of them come back. Now the least likely seems to be Chris Bryant. 
But you remember after the trade deadline and the, the as running up to it, I guess, and then after it, there was much said by Jed Hoyer about trying to negotiate with them and trying to keep them here. Attempts by the Cubs, Hoyer claims, were made at long attempts at long-term deals were made. And these and one of the famous quotes now is Hoyer saying these guys say they want to be Cubs for life, but they didn't sound like it at the negotiating table. So Brian who found himself very comfortable and finds himself very comfortable in San Francisco with the first place Giants, was asked about not re-upping with the Cubs when when they apparently were chasing him to re-sign him. And Bryant was on KNBR, and he never got the chance, he said. Quote, I saw the writing on the wall the last couple of years. That was always the story that was out there. You asked why I didn't re-up. We didn't have those talks. I said in an interview a couple days ago that we talked in 2016, and that was about it. There was no serious conversations after that, so you really can't do much about it. Is he calling Jed a liar? Stevie Sunshine? Yeah. Lost you a little bit there. Okay. Well, Give me the last Chris part. Bryant, what was the last part? What was the last Chris part you Bryant, said there? The, the quote was, you, he told KNBR, you asked why I didn't re-up. We didn't have those talks. I said in an interview a couple days ago, we uh-huh. talked in 2016, and that was it. There were no serious conversations after that, so you really can't do much about that. Is he calling <laughs> Jed a liar? Yeah, I, I don't know if he's calling him a liar, but he's definitely calling him out in some way, shape, or form. I don't think we know what went down. Here's what I think. I think Jed Hoyer thought he made very um, market-type price offers to guys like Chris Bryant, even when he was struggling and he didn't have the breakout that he ended up having last year. I think that he thought what he was offering Chris Bryant was fair. I think the same of Anthony Rizzo, considering age. And those two guys said, look, if, if you if you want us, we're not taking home team discounts. We want maximum kind of stuff yeah well that would be typical of a scott boris client javi javi baez has been you know in new york with other than the thumbs down thing he's been what he has been here it's been up and down and all or nothing and and he had a good weekend and his owner steve cohen tweeted out where are all the javi haters this weekend maybe they just took the holiday weekend off (laughs) do you think any of those guys let me ask you this let me ask you this do you think any of those guys will come back Rizzo Bryant Baez will any of those my, three my guys first be thought was always Rizzo that would my, okay. my first thought was always Rizzo uh, I, they probably, I agree they probably need they need Baez well they could use Bryant if you get that guy but let's say let's say you know dirty Frank and Patrick Wisdom and say they're for real or for real for a year I don't know but I you you can always Baez is an upgrade over anything they're thinking about at shortstop, but I always thought Rizzo. I thought his his of those 2016 Cubs, his would be the first number retired. He gets the first statue. He's going to get a flag out there. He's that guy. So I thought he'd be the first guy that they would they would have a chance to resign. Whether he wants to, I don't know how both sides are feeling at this point. I don't know what kind of money they want to spend. Nobody knows, really. They supposedly have money. 
I don't know, you know, they have, should have biblical amounts of money, but I think Rizzo was always the guy whose jersey was going to be retired. I thought he would have been the most likely to come back. Do you? I, I, I do think now, because I've been saying most of the time that I don't think any of those guys would come back, and I think it would be on both ends that it's it's time to make the clean break. However, the, the Cubs simply cannot go through a, as great as you just mentioned, the Frank the Tank and Patrick Wisdom and all the magical Cubs have been, there has to be a draw at Wrigley Field. And I know that that sounds old school, but there's no way. And I, I don't even know if it'll be a Jed Hoyer decision as much as it, it would be a business decision that they need to have a draw at Wrigley Field when the attendance has been. I know yesterday was a pretty good day, but when you're, you know, I'm listening to the to the score and listen to the attendance game with Pat and Ron and Zach, and they're guessing 23 and 24,000, you know, and that's, that's not what it should be. And, that, and if they go into next season with, Without some sort of draw other than Wilson Contreras and Jason Hayward, then I I I don't know that you're you're gonna have the the casual fans necessarily filling up Wrigley Field. So I know that's a cynical sounding approach to it, but I think because of that, that they will be very happy to welcome back any one of those three guys. And and. Yeah, I, I uh, the Rizzo thing would be. I think I think KB is out of the question. Probably it just feels that way. But I think Baez and Rizzo are in play. Well, we will see. We will see what we shall see on that. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk some Bears. First day of the regular season, and we will talk to Chris Emma of the Score about the regular season. What's coming up, Matt Nagy? Was naming quarterbacks today, or singular, I guess, and he had his reasons. We'll talk about that with Chris Emma. Saturday suckers on Monday. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rohde, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.